problems of Noah getting drunk. There is a, a problem with drink, and that is everybody says, well, I think I, I know my limit. I can hold my liquor. I think I, I can. No, no, because it impairs judgment. We're talking about damaged goods. And after two drinks or whatever your, what you think your limit is, you are already damaged goods. shouldn't be on the open road. You shouldn't be interacting with people. And uh, the best thing to do, the best policy to deal with alcoholic beverages is to abstain. I will preach it because I believe it. You say, well, preacher, the Bible speaks against drunkenness. Yes, and it also says don't look on the wine when it moveth itself aright in the cup. So don't even get close enough to look at it. Now, if you can abstain from looking at it, stay away from it, avoid it altogether, don't support the the uh, production and the trafficking of it, I think we'll be better off as a people. All right. Now, you want to get mad at me? Get mad at the Lord. He's the one that wrote the words that I'm, that I'm quoting here. It's not for those who in authority to, to take something intoxicating into their system because it will impair judgment. We should not have leaders whose judgment is impaired. Whether it is by alcohol, dementia, Right? Or, or bad political advice. We shouldn't have leaders like that. We should have leaders who are going to lead us according to the book and have all their faculties in a row. Amen. Amen. All right. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. It's a medicinal thing. It is a painkiller for people. For example, when you are in hospice and you are in the, the last moments of this life, and uh, you have uh, perhaps cancer in, uh, in, in perhaps in your spine or in your bones or in your brain or in your vital organs, and you are in tremendous pain, that's when you want them to make you comfortable. You don't want them to kill you off, but you want them to make you comfortable so that in your passing, you can pass over to be with Jesus with the least amount of discomfort. That's, that's scriptural according to what uh, Lemuel is saying here, it says, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Those that what would be doing harm to themselves or to others, and they need to be calmed down. So like a medicine, like you would have a, a calming effect on somebody. That's the purpose of that. They didn't have a whole pharmacy in those days. They did have some things, but that's the reason for it. It's not for people to sit around and... Uh, become more and more uh, dislocated from their good senses. It is for uh, other purposes, medicinal purposes only. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. So somebody's got to stand up for the people who are needy, and that's what a king ought to be. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy, and... Now we come to this passage of Scripture that we are so familiar with having to do with the virtuous woman. And the virtuous woman who is spoken of here is the woman that we want to focus on as we think about the Proverbs 31 woman mom and ideally what she ought to be before the Lord and before her family and before people there is a different kind of a person. God is looking for 
uh, an extraordinary person to be the king or to be the president or to be the leader, uh, to be the pastor, to be the leader of a home, to be the leader uh, in uh, his work. Yes, and he's looking for an extraordinary person to be the mom, the wife in the home, as it says here. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. William Greenbaum wrote this, if there is something one cannot do without, it is mother. Father loves her, daughter imitates her, son ignores her, salesmen thrive on her, motorists hurry around her, teacher phones her, and the woman next door confides in her. She can be sweeter than sugar, all smiles and crying her heart out within any given two-minute period. She likes sewing, detective stories, having her birthday remembered, church, a new dress, and the cleaning woman, father's praise, a little, little lipstick, flowers and plants, uh, dinner out on Sunday, uh, one, one whole day off, crossword puzzles, sunny days, tea. And she dislikes doing the dishes and uh, having her birthday forgotten, the motorist behind her, spring cleaning, junior's report card, rainy days, the no neighbor's dog stares in the man who was supposed to cut the grass but didn't. She can be found... <laughs> She can be found in many, many places, but she is very, very busy. She has the beauty of a spring day, the patience of a saint, the appetite of a small bird, and the memory of a large elephant. All right, this is just one man's opinion. But as you can see, the concept that is being promoted here is that she is many things to many people. And in order to be that person, we need God in our life. To be the king or the president or the pastor or the leader of, of the business or the leader of the home or the leader of society, you have to be uh, very dependent upon God in order to fill all the roles, wear all the hats, and get all the jobs done that need to be gotten done. The same thing is true for the woman of the house. She is to be dependent upon the Lord. And when she is, she will be effective in many different roles, not a perfectionist necessarily, but she'll be good at a lot of things. And she'll be there and she'll have the answers. And if you don't, if you don't believe that she is extraordinary, just try filling her spot sometime. Very, very difficult. She's got to go away and take care of her mom or something for a time. And dad is left to cook and left to do household chores and so forth. Um, I mean, it is a rarity when dad is able to cope and and he's on the phone and he's saying, now, isn't mom doing a lot better? And when are you coming home? We miss you. We need you. It's, it's worse than you think. It's desperate. That's it. Children depend on mom. And if mom has to go away for a period of time like that, take care of grandma or whatever it is, and dad's there, the kids come to dad. And when they get done, they say, oh, dad, mom would have known what to do. Mom would know how to fix this. Mom would know how this ought to be. And that is not to put mom on a pedestal, but just to state what she is. She, she has um, become all things or many things to many people. That is, that is part of uh, the great mystery and the great joy of her being the mom and the wife in the home. Raising the kids, bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know, dad goes off to work and mom's at home with them. And uh, many times she'll say, you wait till your father gets home. Father comes home, he has not a clue as to what to do, what they did or what they deserve. He has not a clue about it. So he's just got to kind of wing it and hopefully two of them together, they get enough information shared and he is able to correct the situation. But it's better if things get taken care of right then and there. 
We are, we're usually more careful in how we raise our pets and how we raise our kids. We're usually more careful about the things that we do on the job than the things that we do in the home. And it shouldn't be that way. We should put our greatest care and our greatest interest into the things that are right there under our nose. That's where God put us. That's where the priority is. The very first institution ever established on the face of the earth was the home. Long before government, long before the church was established, the home was established. That should be our first interest. I know that folks have to work outside the home. They have to go from the home. You go to the market, you buy things, you come back, you go to the dry cleaners. I understand those things happen. You come and you go and so forth. But where is it that you come back to? Your haven. Where is it that you come back to? Where is that place of, of being centered and being settled and so forth? That's your home. And God wants you to invest primarily in what's under your nose there and to deal with the spiritual realities. Behind every conflict between Susie and Johnny, there is a spiritual conflict. And if it's not corrected on a spiritual basis, they'll grow up and, uh, and they'll be dealing with a, a, an adult-sized problem, but they will not have learned how to come to terms with it spiritually. All of this is very important for us. R.A. Torrey, one of my heroes, said it is easiest to lead a child from five to ten years to a definite acceptance of Christ. Wow. I rejoice in the work done by rescue missions where we see the wrecks of manhood and womanhood changed into noble men and women, but this is not the work that produces the most satisfactory Christians. The younger we get a child to accept Christ and begin Christian training, the more beautiful the product. The overwhelming majority in our churches today were converted before 21 years of age. Whatever your church does, let it, do, let it do its full duty by the children. He's speaking to the churches, but I'm speaking to the parents and the grandparents right now. We've got to be careful not just to raise up children to be well-mannered, well-behaved, uh, moralists, but to recognize their absolute need and dependence upon God for salvation and for everything else in life. When, when we are hurt as children, we fall down, what do we expect? We expect mom to come and kiss away the, the, uh, the wounds and, and uh, tell us a story and share you know, cookies and milk with us or whatever it is that mamas do to help boys and girls to get back in the race. I understand that. But when that's happening, mom is laying the groundwork for that child all of his or her life to depend on God, to look to someone else, not to ourselves. You make a grave error when you say, oh, get up, come on, you're not hurt, take care of yourself. Oh, no, no, no. Use that opportunity not to baby them, but to say, this is where mom comes in, and this is where God comes in, and this is how we depend upon the Lord. Today, we have got three kinds of families out there. Uh, we've got the family that declares itself to be the family that is modeled according to the Bible or perhaps the... Uh, the, the code of ethics of society, uh, uh, whatever the mores of society, that's the declared family. And, and they're operating upon an ideal, but there might not necessarily be the power behind it. And what the end result of the declared family is, is a dysfunctional family. We see them all around. We see the family, well, like the Chinese have said, in a broken nest there are a few whole eggs. And when you've got a broken family, there are a few whole people. 
It's a, it's a dysfunctional situation. We deal with it. Just about every family in the Bible who is given to us is a dysfunctional family in some way or other. And God shows us what the principles are to deal with the dysfunction so that we might, we might in turn correct that problem. And the end result will be a dynamic family. So we want to declare what's right, we want to base it on the Word of God, but when there is a need, we want to run to God. We want to get there as quickly as we possibly can. For in doing that, we will have the opportunity uh, to teach our children by example that it's the Lord upon whom we depend. We look to Him. We never arrive. Say that to yourself. Write it down. That means as an individual, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a friend, as a church member, we never arrive. I have not apprehended that for which I am apprehended, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. We never arrive. The entire business of being a Christian is a journey. It is a process. We are working and, and striving and moving along toward the goal, but we are never all the way there, and we have to teach our boys and girls that mom and dad, grandma and grandpa are not perfect. We are still dependent upon the Lord. In all of your life, you're going to depend upon the Lord. When we think about this Wonderful example on Mother's Day given to us in the 31st chapter of the book of Proverbs. I was led to entitle this message tonight, A Buffet of Blessings. We have a lot to thank God for. Most everything I am, most everything I have experienced in my life, I learned from somebody else. I didn't come up with it creatively. I didn't just, you know, think it up or read about it or hear about it. But I saw an example. And I followed somebody's footsteps, and uh, I observed somebody else in that particular role. And what may have been wrong, I, I compared it to the Word of God, and without being critical, I, I just kind of tucked away that little note for future reference that in this particular case, I would follow the Word of God and, and uh, would be very careful about it. Along the way, many people have taught me, and that's why if we took the time to talk about those who've been a blessing in our life. It'd be mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uh, some mentors that we've had in our life, some, some of the older gentlemen in the ministry who have now gone to glory, and now I'm the older gentleman. And I look back upon it and I say, thank God, what a buffet of blessings I had. But when I think about my mother and the women, the godly women who have been an influence I have to say, what a buffet of blessings have been offered when we think about all those wonderful things. It begins by saying, who can find this virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. She is, she's rare. Uh, before we ever critique anything else, before we ever find any fault, any shortfall or shortcoming, we acknowledge the fact of her character being obvious, so obvious in the choices and decisions that she makes. And she speaks the truth. She speaks it in love, as we're going to see later on. She has, uh, she has uh, in verse 26, she openeth her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness. She's not harsh. She doesn't cut. She doesn't, she doesn't critique or, or demean, but she is, she is a, a lady of character whose words are designed to help us 
see the error of our way and find our path as we're moving on along on this journey toward our ultimate goal. Her life is foundational. Her passing of the truth along is generational. And as we examine her character, we say, thank God that she didn't make it up as she went. She based it upon the Word of God. She laid everything alongside the Word of God. Try the spirits. She believed that. She practiced that. Character is like the foundation of a house. It's below the surface, but it holds up the superstructure. And many times, as we think back, mom's character below the surface is what held up and kept the family straight, and praise God for that. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, and at the very heart of the home is the mother, the woman, whose character we've been speaking about. It says her... Her um, price is far above rubies. Her, her, her value, her cost is above the possibility of ever replacing it. She is irreplaceable. We understand how important she is. We value that. And so what should we do? We ought to pay tribute. We ought to lift her up. It, it says, uh, her children, verse 28, arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. The, those commendations who are, which are earned over a lifetime, over a period of time, are, are, well, are well deserved. And she in turn gives the glory to God. But you see, this is a pattern for the rest of us. We're, we're able to rise up and call her blessed because she did not allow us just to have whatever we wanted to and go whatever direction we wanted to, but she guided us and she helped us. She didn't smother us, she mothered us. She didn't, she didn't uh, uh, destroy our spirit, she didn't kill our spirit and demean us and cut us down and speak to us harshly, but she had uh, the, the law. You see, she had the inner mouth. Uh, she had the, uh, the law of kindness, as it says there in verse 26. And also we understand what it is about her it makes her a success. It's her God. It's her dependence on the Lord. It says in verse 23, Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. People will know by the influence of the woman what kind of character, what kind of value, what kind of confidence. She, uh, she does him well all the days of his life. She does him good, says in verse 12. It says in verse 11, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Doesn't have to go anywhere else to be satisfied. He's got what he needs, but he has confidence in her. The reason he has confidence in her is not just because she is this, uh, uh, this extraordinary person. She could be very common in many ways, but but she has been placed there for a reason by God, and she has her confidence in the Lord. So he has his confidence in her. That's the way it works in any relationship. There has to be trust, that trust back and forth. She, uh, of course, is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. There is that mutual trust because they're trusting the Lord. They're a team together. That's the home. 
not just a declared ideal home, but this is a dynamic home. And this buffet of blessings is available because somebody, somebody decided to do it God's way and not try it their own way. Every time people uh, decide to launch out and they've read a new book, they've heard a new uh, CD, they've gotten a new idea from somebody, uh, usually it's disastrous. The old paths, the, the tried and true uh, ways of the Word of God are the way for God's people to go. She's a woman of character. Her cost is irreplaceable. Uh, the confidence that is in her is because her confidence is in God. And I want you to notice in verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. And of course the family rises up and calls her blessed and they commend her. Look at her spiritual clothing. Her spiritual clothing Notice, they're not the latest, the most expensive, the newest, something new. I mean, I don't get what is this that it's got to be new all the time. Don't have a thing to wear that's new. All right. What does it say here? What does it say in verse 25? Strength and honor. Strength and honor. That's, that's her clothing, her spiritual clothing. Strength and honor. So she has developed over time, in such a way that she doesn't, obviously, like we wouldn't go out unclothed. She doesn't go out without that strength. She doesn't go out without that honor. There is no situation or circumstance in life. It is not selective. It is, it is common. Like her clothing is common. Her clothing is, is usual. It's ordinary. And in the same way, her life, and the way she faces challenges and the way she leads and helps others and follows is this, this same and unchanging strength and honor. Strength and honor. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We sing, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. A lot of folks think, well, that means I'm not going to go drinking or carousing or I'm not going to uh, be unfaithful or immoral. But it also has to do with every aspect of our behavior, our attitude, our character. And it ought to be that when people whose paths we cross have left our presence, they're thinking to themselves that this has been a minute or an hour or a period of time in which I've been in the presence of Jesus Christ in a body. Jesus Christ in a person. Jesus Christ in a mother or a friend. Jesus Christ in a church member. Jesus Christ should be seen. It's not put on, it's not performed, it's not fakery, but it is the natural outflowing of a woman of character whose price is far above rubies, whose confidence is in the Lord so that she is trustworthy and she trusts others as well. And she faces the challenges of life as Jesus Christ empowers her. She has strength and she has honor and she goes out into the world to help and to and to touch the lives of others, to cross those paths and make a difference just as Jesus Christ were if He was here. 
As I think back on the people who've made a difference in my life, that's exactly the way I felt after five minutes or an hour or being in their presence for a period of time. I feel like I've been with Jesus. I feel like I've heard what Jesus would say. I feel like I've seen what Jesus would do. I believe I've been in the presence of somebody who has the attitude of Jesus Christ. That should be our desire to be like Jesus as we go out into this world. It's a world of wounded people, people that need the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen and amen. And I trust now as the invitation is given that folks are going to be stepping out and coming, having a word of prayer here at the front. It may be that today something has been bothering you, convicting you. You have some troubling thought going through your heart or mind, and it may be that you need to come and have a word of prayer. Maybe you need to come and pray for someone or some situation that you have, and I want to urge you to step out. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, I would urge you to pray from your heart to God something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you slip your hand up, anyone at all?